0: to start tonight with just a simple question, and this is a question that I was le- recently reminded of, of hearing a story that I'd heard several years ago, um, and it's a question, and, and my title of tonight's message, if you will, is, what's, he's, what's he worth? Everyone say, what's he's wor- what he worth? I can't even say it. <laughs> what's he worth? I should give you guys the microphone, all right? What's he worth? And I think this is a question that, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you that if you haven't asked yourself this question, that this is a question we should daily be asking ourselves: Of what do we believe that Jesus and his payment on the cross is worth? And this question comes from a story from a group of people called the Moravians. Now, I'm not like a historian. I know if you were here a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, Pastor Austin gave this awesome history spiel about the Magis and the three kings. I'm not going to dive deep, so you can go check out that on our Global community, shameless plug, hey, all right, join our online church. But I told you guys, I'm not that funny. I'm okay, all right? But, but I want to give you just a quick, a quick little um, glimpse of the story of the Moravians. So it was about the year, by about I mean exactly the year, 1732, and the Moravians were a group of people out of Germany. And it was a small group of, of Christian people who decided to start this prayer movement. And what started in them saying, we want to see 24-hour, seven days a week prayer come forth from our village, started 1732 and didn't end until 100 years later. And they begin these 24-hour-a-day prayer movements where someone in their village was constantly praying. But what they found is that five years into this hundred year long prayer movement that they begin to see not just prayer go forth, but they saw this commission started to happen in the church. And they saw that the prayer movement was really partnered with the mission movement and people were being launched and sent out from their prayers. And they learned that God isn't just calling us to pray, but now he's actually saying, I want you to be the answer to those prayers. And so about five years into this prayer movement, there were two gentlemen who heard about a village in the Caribbean, and it was in St. Thomas, it's a small island in the Caribbean, and, and these two men, uh, one of their last names was Dover. He was 26 years old. The other's last name was Nietzscheman. He was 36 years old. Look at all that history. I wrote it in my notes. That's why I know it, okay? But I'll send you the article that I read later. But they, they, they heard about this tribe, saint thomas and they heard about there's these african slaves in this tribe in the caribbeans that have had no one go and share the gospel yet and they learned that the only way that they someone could go and be a part of the tribe in saint thomas was to actually become a slave and so these two german men took themselves to the port and said we are willing to be sold as slaves on your ship so that we can go and share the gospel with these men and when they got there, they actually were told, there's absolutely no way that you as two white men are going to be sold in and, and purchased as slaves. And so they had to work another way. But when they were asked later on, why were you willing to sell yourself as slaves? Why were you willing to give up every single thing you know? And this is what they said. I want to read this word for word. The response was, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. I want to say it again, and I want you to think about those words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What is he worth, right? What's he worth to you? That can you look at your life, and, and I'm, I'm kind of one of those, I just get to jump in, challenge you a bit, and leave. So to hear my heart, I love you. I know that we're all on a journey, but I can't help but challenge you tonight because I believe we're living in a time that the church has to wake up. And we can't be silent any longer. But could someone look at your life? Could you look at your own life and say, My life, I'm living in such a way that the Lamb is receiving the just reward for his suffering? That what Jesus paid on the cross 2,000 years ago, his very life coming in the form of man and becoming like us, born in an infant, so that he could grow up and live life very human. I don't know about you guys but being human isn't always fun, right? That's not always the greatest thing. He did that. He died on the cross. He took the sin and the punishment for our sin that we deserve. And now we, these two men said, we would be willing to even sell ourselves a slave so that the Lord, so that the lamb could receive the just reward of his suffering. And, and as I read that, as I heard that and I was reminded of the story, I was stirred to begin to ask myself, does my life look like that? Can I say every single part of me that I have truly given back in exchange? Because I think if I've truly encountered God, it should change everything. I think if I really believe that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and he really did give up his life, then that should change every single thing in my life. And that should mean I can't help but every day wake up thinking, is the lamb receiving the just reward that he gave on that cross? Am I willing to say my life is a seed in light of eternity and that I know that the kingdom of God is the most real thing and that our prayer is may heaven come to earth and that what I see and what I feel on this earth is not as real what's going on in the heavenlies. Amen? And so as, as I was thinking about this and even asking myself this the last few weeks, I was reminded of a story that's probably very familiar for you. And it's in the, the gospel of Luke chapter 17. Everyone, chapter 7. Everyone doing okay? Okay. I haven't seen any thumbs, so you guys are good? All right. So Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there right now. If you pull out your phone, you may do that. I'm a little old school. Are anybody a little old school actually like a Bible? This was my, I turned 25 this year. I know I'm a very old lady now. No offense anyone who's 26. Um, But I got this beautiful, beautiful Bible from my mom. She's right here. Let's give it up for moms, right? We love you. I love you, mom. But I told her this was my preacher girl Bible. Like, this is my, like, gonna stick with me for the next hundred years of my life, 95 years of my life. I'm a little out of breath. You guys doing okay? <laughs> All right, cool, good. I don't know. I just got a little, I got a little fire in me tonight. All right. So, Luke chapter seven, I gave you plenty of time to get there. I want to encourage you with something, a little side note is that the word of God is true and it's alive and it's active and it's real, more real right? It's a a double-edged sword cuts through bone and marrow, right? So I need us to know that if we, as the Jesus people, are going to live a life where he's receiving the reward of his suffering every single day, we have to have some foundations of truth. And especially right now in our culture, if we don't have a truth to stand on, then then we have nothing, right? Then we're going to fall for everything. And I was recently talking to um, a family member of mine, actually, and he was, I went and visited him a few months ago, and he was asking me, he said, Man, Sierra, I really just—I need some help. I need some help with something. And I said, "Okay, what's going on?" He's my uncle, and he said, "You know, my my friends of mine—they have a son who who's come out and said he's gay, and I don't even know what to tell them." And and he's like, "You know, they can tell them—they can tell him like it's it's in the Bible, it's wrong. Like you shouldn't—you know—you should marry a wife. All those things." She's like, but I don't even know what to do. And and we had a good conversation, and I got to encourage them. But with even some things I want to encourage you with tonight, but. But I think a part of that conversation, something that really stood out to me afterwards, I walked away realizing that that those parents could say, yeah, it's in the Bible, like God desires a husband and a wife to marry. But if they're not walking out the Bible, like love one another, or they're not walking out respect your, your parents, or they're not walking out like give to those in need then it's really hard to say what you're doing, son, isn't right because it's not in the Bible, but my life isn't reflecting this. And that's not out of condemnation, but I walked away really challenged saying, am I living the word of God? Because if I have to have something, a standard to hold this world to, then this thing better be alive in my life. And I want to encourage, hey, I've never gotten one of those. Pastor Ted, thank you. I'm honored. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry tonight. (laughs) This is good. Jesus is good, but that was really awesome. Okay, Awesome, let's bring it back in. Does that make sense? We gotta have the word of God in our hearts, right? So become a person of the word. Like get this thing in you. I promise you, this is the best eternal investment that you'll ever make. It actually carries with you into the next life. So I would encourage you, know the word of God. Okay, everyone at Luke chapter seven now, if you're not, we will get you an app on your phone so you can click the buttons, all right? Luke chapter seven, verse 36, Anybody still remember what I'm talking about? Okay, cool. All right, this is a story of a sinful woman. Maybe you have heard it before, but I want you to hear it tonight with some new ears, okay? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wipe them with her hair on her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to him, If this man if were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. So this guy thought this. He didn't even say it. He just thought it. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So just so you know, if you're ever like thinking something, and then Jesus looks at you and said, hey, I want to tell you something. That's when you should get a little bit scared. He said, say it, teacher. So this guy's like, go ahead, brother, say it. And he's like this. This is what Jesus says. That was a joke, okay? A certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose who has canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So the guy got it right. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven of little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those, then those were at the table with him, begin to say among themselves, who is this even who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus looked at her and said, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And as I, as I was reflecting on the story, there's another similar story. You can read it. It's in the ba- book of Matthew, chapter 26. That's your homework. It's, it's a little bit of a different twist. Another woman comes to Jesus, but he, she actually pours oil on his head. And the, the people around her says, Man, what is this? What is this waste? And Jesus says, What she's done is the most beautiful thing that wherever the gospel goes, this, this woman's testimony will be shared in a partnership with it. So we have two women who have these oils, these jars of something that is costly and they break it on Jesus and they give him this, this oil back to him. And as I was thinking and as I was reading this, I realized that that, that jar of oil represents our lives. And that whenever we think of giving the the lamb who was slain the just reward of his suffering, it looks like us breaking our lives, breaking the oil, the container of our lives onto the feet of Jesus. And it looks like saying, everything that you have freely given to us, I now give it back. But what I want to tell you is that's costly. And what I want to tell you is that that it's simple. It's not complicated, but it's costly. It's costly. And that few people are willing to step into this kind of place of intimacy with the Lord because it costs something. I want to talk specifically about this woman. What did it cost her to get to this place where she could break this oil on Jesus' feet? And the first thing, and this is something that, that I would say I am very, very passionate about, is that she had to overcome her shame. And I think that there's there's this pandemic going on of shame within the body of Christ that because we don't feel like we can openly talk about things, we hide things. And shame is what the enemy uses to actually pull us away from intimacy with King Jesus. And that if we can stay stuck in our own thought cycles, our own processes, our own, if anyone actually knew this thing about me then I wouldn't be able to fully step into what God has for me. So I can't get close to Jesus. I think of this woman, they said, she's a sinful woman. And had she not said, but I got to give the lamb what he owes. I gotta. He's worth everything. And she could have let her shame hold her back. She would have missed that encounter. And I think a lot of our lives can be stuck in that place where we let shame stop us from stepping into that place of full devotion to Jesus. And what, I, what I've learned in my own life is that it's only in stepping into community that shame can be broken on your life. I've made it a prayer of mine this year that I want to be a person who allows for a shame-free environment where people can come and just like this woman who had everything that should have pushed her away from Jesus, she was the one who was able to sit at his feet. I wanna be a safe person that people can come to and said, man, this is what I've done when I was broken. This is what sin is, I've committed, but now I want to give it back to Jesus, what do I do? And I think there's almost two camps of this. Of we, we feel either stuck in shame that if someone knew, then I wouldn't be accepted. But I think there's also, and I feel like this is maybe from the Holy Spirit. There are some of us who maybe don't think it's fear, but we actually have a little bit of fear around the subject of chain or shame, because we fear. Well, if if I let this woman come close, I'm actually justifying what she's doing, right? That the Pharisees said. The Pharisees were the one that says this woman has sin. Like, how is she getting close? But the truth is the only reason god hates sin is because it separates us from him he knows that it allows our our focus and our pure undefiled devotion to king jesus exactly what could have happened if she would have let shame hold her back it causes our attention to be elsewhere and it says in the word that that the, the distractions of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are what choke out the word of god in our heart and that i think shame becomes one of these distractions of the world that tries to choke out us from stepping into true intimacy with the Lord. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is that if there's any area where you feel shame in your life, and and I just want to maybe be bold in some of those things, I think one of the things that I know has become a true problem in our world is the area of pornography. If you are struggling with that, find a safe person that you can walk in freedom. Because what I know is that until you step into community and are able to walk in freedom, the enemy's going to use that. But I think that there are other issues maybe that aren't as big, that aren't as prevalent as I talked about. But maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression. Maybe you struggle with the thoughts that you're not a good parent. Maybe you struggle with some area that you think, if someone knew that I was here, then they wouldn't accept me where I am. But the truth is that there is nothing, everyone say nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And so what that means is that and what I found in my own life, and this is so beautiful, it's only in giving your shame. It's only in giving your vulnerability to a trusted community that they then, you what you get to see is you get to give something that costs you something. And in return, when that's done in the right place with the right person, you actually get to encounter the love of God in a way that you can't unless you're willing to go to that level of trust. Because if not, you always have this thing that you feel is stopping you from encountering God. But whenever you give it and you see he's still there looking back at you and you see he only has love and affection for you and whenever you can give that to a safe person and they, in return, say, okay, and... And they can say, okay, and I've been there, okay, and... You're still alive, okay, and you're still accepted and loved, and you still have a call and anointing on your life. It's only when you can truly give your shame that I believe you can walk in this kind of intimacy that the woman walked in with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage us that do not let shame stop you from walking in that pure undefiled single focused vision with King Jesus because that is how this woman gave everything he, she gave him what he owed she gave him the, the the just reward of his suffering but if she would have let shame she may have missed that opportunity and the other thing that i believe is extremely p- relevant right now to today and in our world and our society is fear and i think fear looks like so many different things. Fear to you may mean something completely different to the person next to you, but what I know is that fear is one of those things that tries to rob our attention, and I was listening to uh, actually a message this morning by a pastor, and he used this analogy, and I, I obviously, in case you don't know, I'm not much of a hunter out there, in case you thought I was just out in the backwoods shooting some deer. You were wrong, okay? shocker I know right but he t- he talked about um a sniper in in the army he talked to I think the snipers are in the army the army's good yeah we're good okay you guys follow me all right He talked about the sniper but this pastor was talking about how a sniper has one job I knew I'd catch all the, the men's attention they're like yes tell us about the snipers all right no I'm just kidding that didn't happen it's in my mind that happened okay so the snipers are the snipers have one job just, that was funny okay My mom's here to laugh for me, all right? Snipers have one job. Everyone say one job. Okay, snipers have one job, and that one job is to shoot whatever that thing is that their target is. They have a single devotion, one aim, one goal. And this pastor who was sharing this obviously looked into this a lot more, but he said that he'd heard a story of one sniper who crawled from a point from about here to that other side of the stage but because of his one goal his one objective he could not be seen it took him several days just to make that journey because he was so focused and had to barely move at all to get there and then he talks about how the sniper even shared that when you're in that state of mind you're so focused that you notice a simple change in the blade of grass because he has one goal And I think, what does it look like whenever we say, may the lamb receive the reward for his suffering? I think it means that we understand as believers, we have one single purpose. And I believe that purpose is to look like Jesus and to glorify him on this earth. To know him and to make him known. to, To see, to receive his love and then to share that love with this world. We have one single devotion that we are called to. And I think if we are a people who are living life on mission, that our heart's prayer, our cry is, God, receive the reward for your suffering through my life. Then we're like that sniper who has that one aim, one goal, and nothing is going to distract us. But what I know is that too often fear sneaks in and it stops. It's that, it's that if that sniper is on mission, but he hears a noise over here and he loses focus and attention, it could totally mess up his shot. And I think too often in our own lives, fear Whether that's fear of man, whether that's fear of circumstances, fear of the unknown, fear of finances, whatever it is, fear in any form robs our attention so that we lose that single devotion to King Jesus. And I believe if we're going to be a people who say, may he receive the reward of his suffering, it allows us to step out of fear and truly into faith. And I know we've been hearing this all year long of letting fear go and stepping into faith. But I think about the Apostle Peter And Peter was this man who in a moment of fear denied Christ three times. And in a moment of what will people do and say, he allowed that fear to sway his attention for a bit. But what I love, there's this incredibly beautiful story. After Jesus is risen from the dead, that that Jesus is out on the shore and Peter and the, the disciples are in the boat. And Jesus is sitting on that shore and he says, cast your net to the other side. And Peter heard something very familiar. He heard the sound of his father. And he says, that's our savior. And Peter quickly clothes himself because he was apparently fishing nude. He quickly clothes himself and he jumps in the water and he swims towards Jesus. He leaves everything behind once again and he goes after his savior. And when he's there and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. This really first dialogue since he let fear sway his attention, but Jesus's response was, then I got something for you to do. I need you to go feed my sheep. And he says it again, three times Jesus asked him because he redeems the three times that Jesus Peter denies him. And in return, Peter steps into the greatest calling and purpose and anointing that he could ever because he allowed fear to go, even though he made a decision for a moment to lose his gaze, but he quickly, through the love of God, locked eyes with his Savior again and stepped into being one of the founders of what we know as a church today. And what I believe is that whenever we allow faith to overcome our fear, then we're able to position ourselves to step fully into being the church that Christ created us to be. And I was reading in the book of Acts this week, and I was reading a story in Antioch where it says, in Antioch is when the church, the the disciples were first called Christians, and tears came to my eyes because I thought, how beautiful is it that there was a group of men and women who 2,000 years ago said, We're gonna be a people who give the lamb the reward for his suffering. And we're gonna be called these Christians who are gonna go out in a seemingly impossible task Us few numbers are going to impact the entire world, but they were able to see beyond their fear. They were able, like Peter, to get over their shame, and they were able to step into being the church that Jesus Christ called them to be. And what they've done has impacted what we're doing today. And it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of the chapter, it says that the beautiful thing is that their faith is not uh, complete apart from our faith. And that he is calling us as a church today to continue on the legacy. And I believe if we're going to give the lamb the reward that he deserves for his suffering, that we have to be a people who says we are willing to think generationally. We are willing to say, I'm going to step over my shame. I'm going to step over my fear so that I can see the name of Jesus Christ carried into the nation. So I can see the name of Jesus Christ carried into my school and into my workplace and into my family and into Walmart right? I love the name of Jesus going into Walmart because how many of you know the people at Walmart need Jesus? Amen? Amen. And so as I was praying for you guys and as as I'm thinking about this concept of how do we get to that place of surrender, that place of living life on mission, our single pure devotion, Jesus. Again, it's simple, but it's costly. I want to encourage you wherever you're at to not let those two things of shame and fear to stop you from stepping into what God has. But I love what he ends this chapter by saying to that woman. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And over and over again in scripture, we see when Jesus moves in power, peace always follows. That he told the woman who comes and she pulls on his garment and he touches her body, he says, Peace, be still. He says, peace, go with you, woman. Whenever he calms a storm, he allows his power to go out, and then he says, peace, be still. That every time his power goes forth, peace always follows. How many of you know that our world needs peace today? Amen. Our world needs peace in this time in history. The people in your life need peace. Your parents need peace. The people that you work with need peace. And the way that that happens is whenever we, as a church of Jesus Christ, operate in a power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that he guarantees his peace will follow. He says, your faith has saved you, now go in peace. And I believe whenever we give the lamb the reward of his suffering and we allow shame and fear, we press through those things to break ourselves as these oils on the feet of Jesus. Then we allow ourselves to carry the fragrance of peace of him wherever we go. And I love that question in in that, that same story in the book of Matthew when they said, man, what waste is this? That this woman is pouring this oil on Jesus' head. And they said, what waste is that? And I think that in order to live this way, what you have to understand, what I have to understand is that this requires a perspective shift. It requires us saying, I can't think in the natural. To be a person on mission, living life with the kingdom as our sole focus, we can't think with human mindsets. We have to tap into something greater. When Jesus prays, Lord, let heaven come on earth as it is in heaven, That's a shift in perspective. That's a shift in mindset saying, I'm no longer living a life perceiving what I can see in the natural as the most thing, but I'm stepping into something that's supernatural, and I'm going to allow the things of the Spirit to become more real in my life than the things of my five physical senses. And I think if that woman would have thought in the natural... Just like in the moment, those Pharisees were thinking in the natural, man, what waste is this? That if you think in the natural of living this kind of lifestyle, and you think about allowing your life to be this alabaster jar that's broken at the feet of Jesus, that if you think in the natural, it will look like waste. It will look like you giving up your life and what the world would deem as important things, like having so much money that you could have everything you want. It looks like having, having the perfect job or the perfect home or the whatever those things are. And what I know is none of those things are bad. Those things are just things. They're not good or bad to God. But what I know is that if he doesn't have your heart, those things rob your attention. But the same is so true that if he does have your heart, I love Pastor Dwayne on Sunday said, God is giving provision to the people who understand his covenant. And that if we are going to be a people who walk this kind of way, we have to first let him have our heart. And now we have to say it's not waste because I see with a different perspective. So when he tells me to give, I'm going to give with joy. If he tells me to sow, I'm going to sow with gladness. If he tells me to receive, I'm going to receive with open arms knowing I'll freely give it back to him at any point. And I know that if you have that kind of heart, that he will give and do and move in your life in ways that few people are willing to step into. Because it's simple but it's costly. And I want to encourage you tonight that there is something in each and every one of our lives that we have to give to the Lord. And I know we are all on a journey of asking, what is our purpose? Why am I here? What significance does my life have? Why Why was I born? And I don't know if until we meet King Jesus, we will ever fully understand the answer to that. But what I know is that he gives us a commission in the book of Matthew chapter 28. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of nations. Go into all the world and disciple nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo and behold, I will be with you always. That he gives us this charge and commission. And what I found this year, that no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm at, no matter what job I'm working, that my ultimate call and purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus who's making disciples And that's what it looks like to live a life that's broken at his feet. That wherever you go, you're aware, more aware of his presence than you are your own. More aware of his reality than you are of real circumstances in front of you. I love that. Everyone still doing okay? I love there's a story in the book of John, chapter 1, I believe. You guys can turn there. I'll double check really quick. It's when Jesus is baptized. It might be chapter 2. It's in the book of John, okay? So he's baptized, And this is in John's account, but he says that the spirit comes like a dove and it rests and it remains. And I once heard a pastor ask, if a dove was sitting on your shoulder, in order to keep that dove on your shoulder, how would you step? You would take every step with the dove in mind. And that we as a Jesus people, to see the spirit of God resting on us, not that we can do anything that would allow his spirit to leave us, but in order to walk in the fullness of the awareness of the spirit resting on us, how do we step? every step with the spirit in mind. And I think to live a life of this kind of devotion to Jesus, it looks like we are living every step with the spirit in mind. And my eyes aren't on circumstances. My eyes aren't on my feelings. Those things are real, and I don't ignore them. I once heard emotions are like children. You can't let them drive the car, but you don't put them in the trunk, okay? So emotions are real. You acknowledge them. Don't let them drive your car, okay? So I I know emotions are real as things unravel in our world. As the real life situation, as COVID is real, and some of you experience those things, as divorce and death are real things, what I know is that King Jesus is more real than everything, and that he has the name. Yeah, you can give it. If you're going to do it, do it right. I always wanted to say that, right? So we did that. So what I know is that he has a final say. And that our ultimate goal, our ultimate, how do we see the lamb receive the suffering that would, the lamb that was slain receive his just reward, is that we live a life aware of his presence, allowing shame and fear to have no voice and being a people so devoted to the kingdom, saying that is the most real thing. That is the life I want to live. Last thing I want to share with you in closing, maybe. I still got three minutes. So we could say a lot in three minutes. One thing I want to share with you is there is there is a group of believers and the church in Iran. And the church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world today. But it's all through being a disciple who's making a disciple. It's not a large church building. It's all these home groups going on. Mostly led by women, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there, okay? But but the church, well, they have this saying that that before, um, the Jewish people would greet each other with this phrase, shalom, which means peace. But once the Gentiles were grafted into the Christian faith, they changed this phrase within uh, Iran to Maranatha. And Maranatha's direct translation means, come Lord Jesus. So whenever I encounter a believer, I encounter them with, come Lord Jesus. And they encounter me back. Because it's that reminder of this is why I'm alive, is to see see the return of our King. That the reason I live is to make Jesus known in such a way that I know he is coming back one day for a pure and spotless bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish, and I want to be a part of that. So whenever I live life on mission, I live with this Maranatha cry inside of me of come Lord Jesus, and knowing that that is the reason that I exist. And I want to encourage you tonight to ask yourself that question of what does it look like to live a life that the lamb that was slain receives the reward of his suffering? Because I believe whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a businessman, whether you work at Walmart, you're going to college, you're retired, whatever it is that you have a part to play in seeing the church of Jesus Christ alive on the earth today, that you have, you are a disciple of Jesus, that you have someone in your life that you can reflect his goodness to, that you have someone in your, his, your life you can reflect his love to. And what I know is that he is coming back for a bride that is fully awake And I believe that that of all times, this is the time that we have to wake up, church. That we can't remain numb and silent any longer. That the world is longing for peace. They're longing for hope. They're longing for something. And what I know is the answer is the return of our King. And how we see that return is we make Him known everywhere we go. We see that His people choose to step into knowing Him and making Him known. So I want to encourage you to not allow shame and fear to stop you from those things. As, as we close, the band can come up or I might keep talking. I just want to, I want to end tonight sharing you with you um, just a vision that the Lord gave me recently and um, this might be very abstract for some of you. That's okay. Just hear me out. I promise I'm not a crazy person, okay? Um, but when I pray and I talk to God, he speaks to me in pictures and often in prayer... I have time where I'll go and be alone with him and I feel like there's a certain place that that he likes to encounter with me And, and in this picture that he's given me, I I always meet Jesus at this tree. Are you guys okay with this? Okay, it's good. Because the spirit is the most real thing. So what I know is that he transcends time, space, our understanding. And so he created the natural things so that I can encounter him. Your imagination is made from God so that you can imagine and talk to Jesus. The reason why kids have imaginary friends, I believe, is so they can understand who God is. Okay? Just so you know that. All right. So back to this tree. I'm meeting Jesus at this tree. And earlier this year, I was just at a place of being really broken before the Lord. had had just found myself at a place of life where where I wasn't fully walking in what He had called me to. And and I saw this picture walking to this tree with Jesus. And I I walked through this garden, and it it was very overgrown and it was um, very over, unkept. It was just really terrible. But I remember thinking, man, this feels so familiar. Like I I know this place, but I don't recognize it. And as I was talking to the Lord, I felt him say, Sierra, this is your heart. And these are dreams and things that you have not stewarded well recently. But what I want to do is I want to work with you on these things. And I want to teal this garden with you. And I want to make it beautiful again. And so over the year, throughout prayer and in my quiet time with the Lord, I found myself and him working on this garden of my heart. And I found us sealing up things, deep roots I didn't even know were there. And I found us, you know, finding beautiful flowers, and him teaching me something, and all—all all of these very imaginative things. But it was so beautiful. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying, and I was praying, and I was so ready just to be with Jesus. And I—I I, I walked up to this garden again. This is just a picture in my mind in my prayer. And I walked through this garden and it was beautiful. And there were so many wonderful fruits being produced. And there were all these people in the garden taking this fruit like, man, this is so good. This is awesome. I love this fruit. But what I found was, as beautiful as the garden was, I knew that Jesus was right on the other side. And I thought, man, this is awesome. But I quickly walked to the garden because I wanted to be with my king. And I think that God has incredible things for us. But the biggest thing that this woman understood is that that above everything, my true call is to be with my king. It's not about the fruit that he, it's not about even the things we can do for him. It's about are we a people who know how loved we are that we just want to be with our king. And I think that's what that woman understood as she broke that, that oil on Jesus' feet. That's what that two, those two men understood as they were willing to sell themselves as slaves to make Jesus known. They just wanted to be with him. So, would you just close your eyes where you are? And I want to I want you to ask yourself those questions of, man, what what is stopping me from fully living that broken life before him that that oil being poured out on him, that life that he's receiving the reward for his suffering? What's stopping me from those things? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it is it the unknown? Is it I just feel a little bit apathetic and I I don't have energy. Whatever it is, what I know is that King Jesus is ready for you to pour out your life before him. That nothing once again can separate you from the love of God. We're gonna go into a time of singing the song and if you wanna stand, you can, if you wanna sit, you can. But the song is all about our lives being poured out on him. And just like that woman, he says, your faith has healed you, now go in peace. I believe tonight that as you allow your life to be poured out before him, that he's going to give you a faith that's so tangible that we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles like the book of Acts. And he's going to give you a peace that's so real that people around you are going to encounter the love of God. So let's worship tonight.